Hi everyone, welcome to the Shake Your Musings podcast with me, Bill Saker. It's episode 50 today, it is the 15th of September, and today we're looking at why I am not a Republican. So welcome to the podcast, everyone. So uh, I thought it would be good today to think about the Queen and think about uh, why the Queen is important, because this is something that I've changed my mind on um, over the years. Um, and uh, perhaps you have as well, uh, or perhaps what's happening at the moment has, has made you change your mind. Uh, but either way, I think it's worth reflecting on the difference between a monarchy and a republic and uh, why it is for me that I, I'm no, I no longer believe um, in uh, uh, that I think you know, republicanism is the best way. Um, but more on that later. Um, as usual, I'm just going to begin with a few links, things that I've seen this week. I'll just highlight these quickly. I'll run through them. Um, the first one is a lovely article on the Washington Times. The headline is that Christian faith sustained Queen Elizabeth II throughout her life in times of trouble. And this is a, an article which just talks about the faith of the Queen and you know talks about her in her own words. And um, yeah, I thought this is a really good summary, um, a lovely article, and I won't be referring to it in the main section. So you might like to have a look at that um, uh, if you haven't seen it already. Um, and a couple of articles to do with COVID and to do with what's happening at the moment as a result of COVID. So the first one was on the Brownstone Institute um, and it's by Jeffrey Tucker called A World on Fire and looking at what is happening at the moment and how that was, you know, things are so bad and it's a result of the lockdown policies. So let me just quote you briefly from the article. Uh, but really, even these two factors would not be enough to cause this level of carnage. The real root of the problem is monetary, which in turn traces again to lockdown policies. The wild currency debasement starting March 2020 and continuing through lockdowns has wrecked the place. How could they not see this coming? It's ridiculous. Um, as many people have been pointing out over the last um, two or three years, you can't shut down an economy for all of that time and then expect nothing bad to happen. And I think people are just beginning to wake up to how bad the crisis is going to get over the winter time. So let's, uh, yeah, let's hope that this causes a bit of sense to to rise um, in 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 what's uh, you know in our government and and so on. So that's uh, that's on the Brownstone Institute. Links will be down below uh, under this uh, either video or if you're on the podcast on the, on the podcast as well. The second article is on Panda Uncut which is, uh, you know, the um, pan, um, pan data, um, pandemic data and analysis organisation based in South Africa, but kind of worldwide with lots of experts um, contributing. This is written by Jonathan Engler. And the headline is, were the unprecedented excess death curves in northern Italy in spring 2020 caused by the spread of a novel deadly virus? So what he is asking is, given that we know that the virus was circulating from... Um, late 2019 maybe September October 2019 why was it that we only started to notice in March and the suggestion is that it's actually more to do with health authorities and looking at you know the way that um, health authorities manage things and or the response to the pandemic the response to Covid um, so I think that's that's an interesting read just one thing I'd like to add to that is something I noticed, and I wrote about this on my blog, um, 
a year or two ago is that if you looked at the government coronavirus dashboard across the um, the county of Essex, across regions, different um, regions would have the same kind of shape graph. Um, and it was quite interesting looking at that because it, it, it does not seem like it was in any meaningful way tracking the spread of a virus. It looked more to me like an artifact of, of testing, you know, just that, that it would if you did a certain number of tests, it would come back with a certain number of positives. So, you know, it didn't really say very much useful. And I wrote about this uh, last year. And I'll try and remember to link to that uh, down below as well. So that's the links for today. Do let me know if you have anything uh, anything you'd like to share either on Telegram, uh, leave a YouTube comment or uh, email me through socomusingspod at gmail.com. And just to uh, say once again, if you'd like to support me, there's a link on Buy Me A Coffee and I really do appreciate that. And that's uh, down below um, the link for that as well if you appreciate uh, what I do. So let's move on now to think about uh, the main section, thinking about why I'm not a Republican. So today on the podcast, we are thinking about this question, why I'm not a Republican. Uh, the reason I wanted to do this, obviously, it's the uh, a week following the, um, the, the passing of the Queen, um, very sadly, uh, last last week. And I know a lot of people have, have spoken about that. Um, so I won't I won't sort of um, uh, belabor that. Um, but I just wanted to to think about the question of the Queen at all, because there's been a number of well-publicised protests um, about people. For example, I've got a picture there, if you're watching on YouTube, um, there was a man holding up a sign saying, not my king. And there have been other protests, and actually there's been uh, some arrests about this, and, and I don't think that's that's right. You know, I think free speech should be upheld at all times. You know, I, I uphold the right of Republicans to protest against, against the king or the queen, even in a time of mourning. Um, but... Um, yeah, I, for one, I, I used to be a Republican. When I was at school, when I was a, a younger man, um, you know, I, I very much was against the monarchy. And I um, uh, I would have said things like, well, the monarchy's too expensive. You know, why should we have to pay for a royal family? That just seems exploitative. Um, too pointless, you know, thinking, well, what does the Queen really do? You know, she kind of swans around doing lots of events and things. Um, but to be honest, what does she actually do in terms of the running of the country? Uh, it's become largely a ceremonial role only, kind of symbolic thing. And uh, not democratic. Um, that, you know, as the, the the Monty Python sketch from the Holy Grail uh, goes, you know, surely supreme, supreme executive power should derive from a mandate from the masses. Uh, rather than a farcical aquatic ceremony, um, as he points out, I think that's a wonderful sketch, by the way, from uh, the Holy Grail. If you if you don't know it, just Google "supreme executive power" um, and um, you'll you'll find the sketch. Um, so I would have argued along those lines that the monarchy is expensive, it's pointless, it's not democratic, and I thought, well, why don't we just abolish the monarchy and have a properly democratic system? which seemed a lot fairer and better to me. So I was a I was a Republican. But let's turn to look at another country where there is a republic. Let's look at uh, America. How is the republic working out there just at the moment? And um, I know that those of you aren't, aren't on YouTube won't be able to see this, but the, the, the Not My President 
um, sort of movement or, you know, the number of people who are declaring Donald Trump or Joe Biden to be not my president. I put two pictures there. You can get T-shirts with not my president on. And um, uh, there are, you know, similar numbers of people who are, seem to be completely offended that Donald Trump or Joe Biden is president and will refuse to accept them as their uh, as their head of state. And it seems to me this is the problem with democracy. Now, what happens when a country is so divided that about 50% of people want one thing and the other 50% of people want something which is diametrically opposed? Now, what do you do? And that is really, I think, the crux of the issue. Now, where does supreme executive power derive from? Is it as now, Monty Python said, from a mandate from the masses, or a farcical aquatic ceremony, or something else. Uh, that is the that is the question, and it seems to me that I think the example of America shows that in these divided times, that we we need something which is beyond simply the will of the people. Now, we need something above the will of the people. So let's think then about the Queen and uh, now, now the new King Charles. And let's start by thinking about the accession proclamation which was made uh, last week. The accession proclamation. I'm just going to read a few, um, a few bits from it. Whereas, whereas it has pleased Almighty God to call to his mercy our late Sovereign Lady, Queen Elizabeth, we therefore publish and proclaim that the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George is now, by the death of our late sovereign of happy memory, become our only lawful and rightful liege lord Charles III, by the grace of God, to whom we do acknowledge all faith and obedience with humble affection, beseeching God, by whom kings and queens do reign, to bless his majesty with long and happy years to reign over us. So this is the uh, what was um, proclaimed shortly after the death of the Queen, uh, saying that Charles was now the King. And I find it fascinating that this, the, the first thing really which was done officially, is uh, full of references to God, saying that God has called uh, Queen Elizabeth to himself, saying that uh, Charles is um, the King by the grace of God, and it says... Uh, praying to God by whom kings and queens do reign and acknowledging that kings and queens are under the authority of God, um, praying that um, God would bless Charles and, and give him uh, long and happy years to reign. So this whole thing is saying, really setting things in the frame that God is the one who is in charge and the king or the queen simply reigns kind of under his authority. Uh, it's a very, very Christian idea. And this came through again in the, um, the ceremony as the, um, the coffin was carried into uh, Westminster Central Hall. And there was a short ceremony 
as the uh, as the coffin was carried in the um the choir were singing um a setting of psalm 139 a lovely setting of uh, psalm 139 and then there were prayers from the archbishop of canterbury and the dean of westminster um there was readings from the bible and there um there uh, there were prayers and the dean um, led people in the lord's prayer so it was a very a thoroughly christian ceremony again and in fact graham tomlin who up until recently was the Bishop of Kensington, he put up on Twitter a, a picture uh, of it and said, struck by how Christian was the ceremony that started the lying in state. Psalms, anthems, prayers. Christianity is woven into the fabric and history of this nation. The roots go very deep. So again, you know, the, the um, coffin was carried into the, uh, the hall and there were psalms, there were songs, there were readings from the Bible, there were prayers. Uh, it was Christian all over. And um, one of the, the notable things, I think, about the, um, the relationship in, in, the, uh, in Britain of the monarch to the state, uh, to, the, um, to the church, sorry, is that or the, uh, the queen or the king is the supreme governor of the Church of England. Uh, but they are crowned by the church, by the Archbishop of Canterbury. So that there is this kind of relationship saying, although the, uh, the the king or queen is the supreme governor of the church, that actually it is the church that crowns them. And it is symbolic of saying that it is God who they derive their power from. So let's think then a little bit about being a king in the Bible, uh, because the Bible has got quite a lot to say about kings and, and so on. Um, so let me read... Uh, a couple of verses. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1 when uh, Israel were to get their first, well actually their second king after King Saul. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So God is the one there who at the moment when Israel get their, their first kings, uh, Saul and David, um, actually God is the one who chooses who is to be king. So that's the, the way round that it goes. The people don't appoint the king. God appoints the king. It is someone of his choosing. And then um, the Psalms are full of references to uh, to the king so let me read psalm 61 uh, for example uh, verses 6 and 7 increase the days of the king's life his years for many generations may he be enthroned in god's presence forever appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him so uh, this psalm again um, you know very much focused on on the king and asking for god's blessing on the king and um, as Christians, you know, we can read these psalms and think, you know, that the king actually that it's referring to ultimately is Jesus. And he is the king who is enthroned forever. Uh, and we'll come on to that in a moment. But, you know, even in the days when the, this psalm was written, referring actually to the king and asking for God's blessing upon the king. And, um, you know, the, the Bible is, is full of that kind of language. So 
So how did that actually work out in the life of Queen Elizabeth? Well, let me read you, first of all, a um, a little bit of Mark, Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says that to be a Christian, to be a leader, to be great in the kingdom of heaven, is to be a servant. And we take our example from him, because he is the the one who was over all, the king over all, came not to be served, but to serve so Jesus kind of inverts that uh, that relationship. Jesus is the one who who serves and we should be like him. Now compare that with what the Queen said. Actually, before she was the Queen, this is when she was Princess Elizabeth, broadcast in 1947. Famous words. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. But I shall not have strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join in it with me, as I now invite you to do. I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God help me to make good my vow, and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. I think that's such an amazing thing for uh, a king or a queen to say, to say my whole life shall be devoted to your service. You know, because for all across the world and throughout history, kings and queens have been often been tyrants, often being people who did lord it over the people, as Jesus said. But it was not like that with Queen Elizabeth II. She did not lord it over us. She saw herself as a servant. And that is ultimately because she saw herself as a servant of God, that she was not given her position to, to lord it over. She was not given her position for her own benefit but she saw it as an opportunity to serve, as an opportunity to do what God wanted her to do, you know, to serve to serve her king, to serve Jesus, and to serve the nation, and to serve the commonwealth. So this brings us on then to the topic of what a king or queen should do. Um, I think that's a good question to be, to be asking. You know, well, if, if God wants the king or queen uh, to be there, then what should they actually do? What are they there for? Um, There are, um, well, I think the main thing is, uh, as the Bible describes, as a shepherd. So let me read you um, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24, one verse here. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. So I think being a shepherd in the Bible is guiding and leading, but particularly in a a moral and spiritual way. And that is what a king or queen is really there for, is to be the the sort of the moral compass, the spiritual compass of the nation. And that is something I think that uh, the queen, she, she did so well in many ways that she talked very openly about her faith 
and about how Jesus was the anchor of her life and kept her going through many times of trouble. Um, there are things which we may, um, you know, we could critique. Um, I think that the Queen certainly could have taken more of a moral stand on some things. Um, I think she signed things into law which she didn't agree with. And I think she could have been uh, been stronger on that for sure. Um, but nonetheless, I think, you know, she was in a difficult situation. It's easy to judge. And, um, you know, I think that that is that is the thing, isn't it? That, um, you know, I think she she did a pretty good job. Um, and um, yeah, that that's that's the purpose. That's the reason why uh, God gives a kings or queens to lead the nation but particularly in that kind of spiritual and moral way not to solve every administrative or political issue and I think that's why many people looked up to the queen and you know people talk about seeing her as a grandmother the grandmother of the nation or, or something like that and I think but what they really looked up, uh, looked up to was her her integrity her integrity of character her morality her faith and if she hadn't have had that, then people would not have looked up to her. And um, I think we're beginning to see now what people really respected about the Queen. And we'll come on to that in a moment. Um, so the, uh, the King or Queen is supposed to be a shepherd of the nation and is supposed to be obedient to the King of Kings. Let me read one more verse from Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Uh, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So uh, Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so it is the responsibility of every ruler to acknowledge uh, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And again, that is what Queen Elizabeth did. You know, She acknowledged that she served uh, the true king, and that is Jesus, and that she was uh, given that position in trust to be used wisely according to the way that God wanted it to be used um, rather than just simply for her own gain. And so what I've been coming round to over the, the last uh, few years as I've been thinking about this, but particularly over the, the last few days, you know, just reflecting on the Queen's life, is that what we have in the the UK, I think, is something which is quite special. And I feel like what we have is almost the best of, of both worlds, which is that we have a sovereign head of state. We have um, someone who is not political, you know, unlike in America, where there is a lot of division um, because, you know, the head of state is someone you either voted for or you didn't. Um, that is the issue. Whereas here, you know, people from all kind of political persuasions have been paying their respects to the Queen. And it's, you I mean, the, the queues of, for people who are going up to pay their respects while the Queen is lying in state is incredible. And that is because she is not politically partisan. But she is, um, she was accountable to God. You know, she was accountable to how she used her, her power and authority. She was accountable to God. And uh, the, the, the head of state, the queen or the king, is um, also a representative of God's reign over us as a vice regent. And I think, again, that's why people love the 
the king or queen so much, which is that you know it is representative of something, which is that we do have a king. You know, all of this, the glory, the pomp and, and circumstance and everything, you know, it is um, it is the uh, representative of something greater. You know, it's only in, in a small part that actually we do have a king who is over all. And I think people recognise that, you know, there's something very fundamental in our nature about wanting to have that um, at the top. Um, so... So, yeah, I think having a sovereign head of state, someone who's not politically partisan, but who's accountable to God, represents God's reign uh, on earth, I think is is a good thing. But also we do have a parliamentary democracy. Uh, So our laws are decided by elected officials, by elected representatives of the people. And so that does mean they are accountable to the people. Um, That means that they can't just go and do whatever they like but they should be accountable to the people and you know that the democrat we talked about having sort of democratic breaks on um, on that political will but something which we don't often talk about is the way that parliament is accountable to the sovereign that it is the king or the queen who gathers the parliament who who convenes parliament who opens it and uh, the parliament they are accountable to the sovereign and I think that's kind of, again, representative of um, the, the parliament on earth, the democracy being accountable to God and needing to do what he uh, wants to do, uh, that there being a greater will, if you like, uh, a greater um, mandate, which is that from God and an accountability. And that's something I think which has kind of broken down a bit over the 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 years i do feel like parliament now uh, are feeling more and more like they are autonomous and they are you know not really accountable to anyone actually not even the people really they just get on with whatever they want to do and that's wrong you know and i i feel that we should uh, perhaps having a sovereign who is actually able to take more of a step in and say you know no you are you are not doing the right thing you know we need to be looking to what god wants and you also need to be looking to what the people want. Um, that may be, um, you know, well, that, that would go a long way to helping, wouldn't it? So I do feel like here, as a country, we are at a crossroads. And I think this is why the death of the Queen has left... Uh, a real hole in people's lives and you know people feel so moved by it you know it does seem like the end of an era and it's interesting uh, p- people from various different places on the political spectrum have been saying the same thing so i've just got some quotes here from different articles that i've read over the last few uh, a few days which i think sum it up for me and um the first one is from brendan o'neill in spite who wrote a a long piece, uh, Queen Elizabeth and the End of History on the 11th of September. This is what he says. For it seems clear that the ceremony of being the subject of the Queen is to be replaced by the reality of being the charges of kings and princes who require not only our decorative respect but also our servility to the technocratic agenda. The post-Elizabeth royals have been subsumed into the tyranny of technocracy. Their rule will not be God-given, but expert-led. There will be none of the mystery of the monarchy, 
little even of the idea that their right to reign derives from the past, from who their ancestors were. No, these will be expert royals. Their authority will come from science, not God or history. I think uh, Brendan is uh, on the money there, which is looking at the way that Charles has, what the things that he's said in recent years, his involvement with the World Economic Forum and things he said about climate change, for example, I think you know it is clear that he has a very different way of looking at things to to the Queen, and as Brendan says, you know we are living more and more in technocratic days, which is at odds with the way that the monarchy has historically been, which sees its its authority coming from the past and from God, and um, yeah, I don't think he he's he likes that idea at all, and I don't either. Uh, so this is why I think we are people are upset because we are seeing now what might lie ahead. The second thing I'd like to read is um, was actually written on when we knew the Queen was was not well, but uh, before she died. This is uh, Sebastian Milbank writing an unheard called God Save the Queen. He says this, I have a feeling, a superstitious feeling, that the life of our Queen, so devoted to service, so pleasing before God, so strangely intense and quiet, somehow shields our country from evil. I cannot help but look at the disasters rumbling on the horizon and feel that history, so long kept at bay, is returning to England. So Sebastian uh, Milbank was saying, you know, um, the Queen has held back a lot of the things that, that um, the, the bad things that could have happened. And it, it did strike me that you know, if you think that things have gone wrong over the last few years, and you know, let's be honest, who doesn't, then think about how bad they could have gone wrong if it hadn't been for the Queen and for that history, for that tradition. And I think, again, this is completely right, that you know, if we hadn't have had the Queen there, you know, who knows what, what could have happened. Um, and... Um, yeah, again, this is why I think being at this crossroads moment is unsettling, because we don't know what lies around the corner. Um, the final thing to quote from is Peter Hitchens. He wrote a piece on un un Unheard, uh, God Save Our Republican Protesters. And he says, When I say God save the King, I am also saying God preserve English liberty. And if Mr. Hill feels he is not as free as he would like to be, he should not blame the king, but the reformers. And this is something which, again, has struck me, which is you know, if the king or the queen is accountable to God, then one of the, the, the fundamental roles of the king or queen is to, is to um, secure our liberty. And if our, the king or the queen is taken away, will we be more free? And I think what we've been seeing... Uh, certainly when it comes to the rise of authoritarianism is that you know governments western governments are taking a more and more authoritarian line and that you know i i have no confidence that we will be more free if the monarchy was taken away i think that actually it is the monarchy done properly which keeps us free as a people and um, this is where I think that um, Peter Hitchens is, again, uh, completely right here. Um, so, yeah, we are at a crossroads moment. And I think that, um, you know, this is why it is so unsettling. 
you know, because we don't know what is coming round the corner. The Queen represented something, something good, but what is coming next? Uh, how is Charles going to be king? And this is why I think we need to be praying and trusting and hoping that God will use this for good. And that's where I'd like to end this, um, just to, to talk about um, this phenomenon over the last sort of um, 25 uh, years or so. Uh, since 1997, in the death of Diana, I really feel like that was a watershed moment in the British people. You know, I just felt like it was a moment of collective madness. Um, I was a teenager at the time when Diana died. And I, I mean, even I recognised back at the time, things haven't changed, um, just how bonkers it was. And, you know, every newspaper article, everything was about Diana. It just seemed like people lost their minds about it all. And, um, you know, however sad and tragic it was, it was the response to it was beyond anything, I think, that, that would be um, reasonable. And what I'm hoping is actually that you know, over these last 25 years, the time from when we came together as a nation in grief over Diana to the time now coming together in grief over the Queen, that actually it will bring us together and help us to recover our sanity. I just hope that the that steadfast faith of the Queen, you know, her integrity, her uprightness, her morality, her faith, will kind of, by contrast with the turbulent life of, of Diana, well, actually, you know, kind of reassert a kind of stability on uh, the people of this country and say, you know, this is actually what we want to be. You know, we want to be people who are under God. We want to be a Christian nation. We want to be people who have what the Queen had. You know, we want to have that that integrity, that stability, that that morality and that faith uh, that she had. So I'm I'm kind of hopeful that uh, although you know, things are bad at the moment. I'm hopeful that this this happening will actually lead to good in the end, that, um, you know, that we've been living through a period of, I think, almost unprecedented madness over the last 25 years. I mean, back in 1997, you know, that was New Labour as well. And I, I said recently, that was, I think, when things started to go wrong in terms of the, um, the globalist agenda and so on. Of course, it was all happening before that too. Uh, but that's when I think things really began to pick up. And uh, perhaps that this is a sign that having a new prime minister as well last week, you know, perhaps it's a sign that this is the moment that things start to change back. And uh, let's be, uh, I hope, optimistic and hopeful that this is the moment that things start to change and that things go uh, in a more sane direction. And that's something to, to, to hope for, something to pray for. And um, I just wanted to finish with that little thought. So let's, uh, as we come towards the end of the podcast, let's finish. With the reflection from the Bible, and we're going to look at another psalm today, Psalm 64. so let's finish then with a reflection on Psalm 64 and I'm going to read this out and then just share one or two thoughts on it. Hear me, my God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, 
from the plots of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding their snares. They say, who will see it? They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the human mind and heart are cunning. But God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. All who see them will shake their heads in scorn. All people will fear. They will proclaim the works of God and ponder what he has done. The righteous will rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. All the upright in heart will glory in him. One of the interesting things about the Psalms is the way that it it does portray things in a very black and white kind of a way. And um, it's certainly the case here. You know, the conspiracy of the wicked, it's, you know, they aim cruel words like deadly arrows and they shoot suddenly, they encourage each other in evil plans and so on. It's almost like a comic book kind of villain, isn't it? You know, Dr. Evil in his his evil lair, stroking cat, cooking up plans to take over the world. Uh, But we know that that's not really what evil looks like. As we were thinking about the other week, that evil disguises itself as an angel of light. And this is where I think this really kind of comes into its own, just saying that... Now, evil does not have to look like evil to actually be evil. And I think a lot of the problem at the moment is that you know, evil sort of looks like good. You know, because the people, I think, in the World Economic Forum and the like, uh, I think they, they think they are doing what is good and right. And I don't think any of them is some kind of crim- criminal mastermind. At the same time, they're doing it without God, which is wrong in itself. And they are pursuing an agenda without uh, necessarily looking at reality, looking at um, all of the facts. And um, and so effectively what they are doing is they are you know, making people's lives harder, um, shooting at the innocent, so to speak, uh, and thinking that they can just, you know, they're not accountable to anyone. And it really struck me that it, it does link in with this, even if it is not, you know, that kind of caricature pantomime villain. Nonetheless, I think this is applicable to many of the, the elites who think they are unaccountable and who think that they need to solve all the world's problems without reference to God. But this is the good news of the psalm, which is it says uh, they are, although they are hiding, you know, to shoot at the righteous, it says, verse 7, but God will shoot them with his arrows. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. So God is capable of bringing down um, governments, the rich, the elites, nations and and so on. You know, he's more than capable of doing that. And even, it says, he will turn their own tongues against them. The words that they have spoken will be used against them. And it did make me think, um, again, of the you know, folks like the, the WEF who, um, you know, they have published speeches and, and things. It's all over Twitter and YouTube and the like, you know, on social media, that their words are public. Their words were not hidden. And when you have people like uh, Yuval, is it Yuval Harari, who's a philosopher to the WEF, who um, who's um, talking about how mankind are gods, 
or, or you know sort of becoming gods with technology and all sorts of i mean they've said some pretty terrible things about um, people who are not productive you know being uh, the what was it i I can't remember how he put it, but, you know, the useless members of society, something like that. You know, these are words which I think will come back to bite and God can use that. And it says, uh, the psalm says, all people will fear. They will proclaim the works of God and ponder what he has done. The righteous will rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. So those who trust in God and those who seek him and to do what is right will rejoice because God is able to uh, to do what is right and just and we can take refuge in him and we do not need to worry or fear about um, whatever wickedness uh, earthly leaders may be up to or anything like that you know because God can take them take them down in his own time um, not in ours but in his and I thought this was a real encouragement to me I, I read this psalm the other day and it really encouraged me uh, to think, you know, we just need to keep trusting in God and uh, and asking him to just to expose uh, the things which are happening and, uh, and, you know, people will see. And then those who trust in God will rejoice. So, yeah, let's let's take a moment as we close now to to give thanks for that and to pray. Uh, let's pray for uh, for King Charles and pray that he would be accountable to God in the right way. Uh, as well and uh, ask that God would bless us as a, as a nation and all across the western world where this this division is is going on so heavenly father we um give you thanks that we can trust you that you will you see the injustice which is going on in the world and that you will bring it to an end uh, one way or another in your timing and we pray that you would bring an end to this injustice now um, and we pray, Lord, that those who think that they are doing what is uh, good and right with this rising authoritarianism uh, would realise that they need to seek you and seek your will for dealing with all of the, the problems in society and the problems in the world. And we pray, Lord, that those who do believe and trust in you would be able to rejoice uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, we do pray, Heavenly Father, for um, for the uh, King Charles and ask that he would be a king following uh, his mother's lead, who um, takes um, you and his uh, faith very seriously, who is able to submit to your will and be accountable to you, and who is there to serve. And we pray that you would help us as a nation uh, at this crossroads to be able to go in the right direction and to be able to, to seek you. Uh, to be able to submit to you at this time that we would want to be a Christian nation. And we pray that you would bring an end to this uh, political division, but that you would help us to be uh, united uh, once again as one nation under uh, under you, our Lord. So we pray for your help and your blessing, and I pray for each one uh, watching or listening to this now, for your blessing upon uh, each of us, our families, our loved ones, uh, asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me today. Um, I'll be back next week. Uh, just a reminder that if you'd like to get in touch, there is a Telegram channel and you can uh, find that under link, linked under the podcast. Uh, also, there is a um, you can leave a YouTube comment or email me through uh, sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. 
And uh, don't forget that if you'd like to support me, then uh, you can uh, buy me a coffee as well. And that is um, underneath. And I really do appreciate that too. Thanks so much to everyone who supported me in that way and in every way. I really do appreciate it. So God bless uh, for now. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Uh, take care.